Good morning. Good morning. dealt with that thing. 
we ended up moving into this, we knew we were going to a town, that we knew the name of the city, but we didn't know the name of the village. We didn't know this Bible school was in the village. We'd never been there before. And here was this little village. We ended up going and going door to door. I can remember being chased on two occasions with a rifle. Um, that's not in Bolivia or somewhere, that's in British Columbia. Just a few hours from here, so he might be around still. <laughs> but I want to tell you the most incredible blessings of my life in those years were going door to door, starting a little Sunday school, a little club for children. I did most of it. The, the door to door I always did on my own. Scripture says go two by two, but I always did it on my own, and I loved it. Didn't see a lot of success, but I, I knew I was obeying what God called me to do. Since then, I've been on probably 38 Hutterite colonies. Many times you go on, you no clue, you never call in advance, you just go. You don't know what's going to face you. I love it. There's a thrill and an excitement. I love ministering to low German people. I love going to mission, mission places where there's people that I can't even speak their language, but somehow I manage to learn. I can talk for three hours with someone who I don't even know their language. And we manage to communicate. You young men were confessing things yesterday and you sisters were confessing things now. I'll confess. I'm scared to witness. I don't know how to open up a conversation. I still struggle with not knowing how to open up a conversation. If you'll open it, brother, you'll get me going a hundred miles an hour. But I'm scared to know how to open a conversation. Even in a living room, in, in fellowship with Christians, I struggle to know how to open a conversation that will bless the people that have gathered the fellowship. My gift is not an evangelist. You get me down, once the door is open, I'll end up teaching you ask who have I led to the Lord? I don't remember any of their names. Who have I baptized? I don't remember any of their names. But I'll never forget teaching you here in Easton. Okay? I'll never forget the laborers that I prepared to go out. But I don't even remember that, that, that I, I can draw in my mind one, one real... Uh, well, I can start drawing in my mind witnessing things right now where we were on our knees. But some people, that's all they think about. You know, it's, wow, I remember when so-and-so and I... No, I remember the times I was sitting and teaching. I remember the living rooms where I was teaching. I remember the, the coffee rooms at work where I was teaching. I love working with unbelievers. I love the coffee shop. I don't even mind when other stuff comes up. Because it's an opportunity to speak up. Finally, if you don't, the speaking up doesn't do anything, you go and you eat outside. But I don't know how to create those opportunities. I struggle with that still. Evangelism, the main place it's to start is in Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. And I believe we do something wrong. We send people to the ends of the earth to start learning how to be missionaries and witnesses when we should be learning right at home. 
When I moved to the place where I am right now, we got so involved with the Hutterite people that we never witnessed to our neighbors. And it's still tremendously difficult. And our people are mostly Mennonite people who, who really aren't interested. At least that's the perception we have. I want to encourage anyone that if you move somewhere, the first thing that it's important to do is begin in your Jerusalem. In our churches, I believe the most important thing is to begin with witnessing in our Jerusalem because that's where we spend most of our time. Now, I... Did, I, did you hear me say I'm scared to death of witnessing? But can I say something else? It's the greatest joy of anything I've ever done in my life. I don't like colleges, so I don't know what they've got planned tomorrow. But I'm scared to death, okay? But we've also got the power of the Holy Spirit, don't we? And I know from experience that by the end of tomorrow, it's going to be exciting. Now, it isn't always that way. Sometimes it's just, sometimes it's just dead in the water. I mean, it's just, some people got killed for their witnesses. Let's pray. Father in heaven, blessed be your name. Blessed be your holy name. Lord, someone said, I have so much experience in all of this. And Lord, I, I just feel like that's rubbish. I just come before you in total, total weakness, Lord. I come before you and admit that it's easy for me to go to a colony. And it's easy for me to, to go to the ends of the earth and preach under a mud hut. But Lord, I struggle with knowing how to open doors with my neighbors and on a college campus. And I, I struggle with those things, Lord. And so help me and help each one here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was asked to try and inspire you that, that we are called to missions, but then I was also asked to give any hints I have, etc., etc., so, um, I was asked to do quite a number of things. So I guess that means I can do whatever I, the Lord leads here, and we're probably not going to get to any of it much. But uh, First of all, before I get into it, I sat, I'm trying to learn how to live with um, progressives. And I sat them here over here, and someone either stepped on them or sat on them, or I did or something. I got a totally bent up pair of glasses. And if anyone has a Leatherman or two Leathermans, and any expertise or boldness that wants to try and straighten my glasses, please let me know afterwards. Maybe or if there's someone that knows something about it. Wonderful. Okay. What do we do here this morning? Anybody afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow? Oh, you're all bold. Okay. Reaction. I come from a very liberal background, as you can tell, that I was sitting down smoking my pipe while I read my Bible for two hours, with my hair down to there. Okay? But I came to love the Word of God. And one of the things I struggled with through my life, coming from that background back then, of course, was people that come up and buttonhole you. Are you saved, brother? What was the date? Uh, and so on. Those are some of my earliest memories in high school was of Baptist girls. <laughs> and I was a liberal boy. 
And then I, I went to Bible college later on, and Bible school, and I met the Lord possibly even here, close to here, somewhere in a uh, place like this called the Firs. Now I'm not sure if it was that, but I went to many, many summer camps. And uh, sometimes it was at the Firs, in, I believe, in Bellingham. And it was a place like that that I met the Lord, but it was in a very different setting than what was acceptable to most Baptists and to most Pentecostals. And so I never had one of those proper testimonies. And so I always struggled with not wanting to buttonhole and beat other people either. And that's maybe why I end up teaching. Um, and we could share more about some of those things, but I just want to let you know that that's, that's kind of where I've come from. And so one of the questions I have as we come to the question of witnessing, from your background, people will probably say, everyone that gets involved in missions and witnessing, they always turn liberal. And I'll tell you that the observations are many times that is the case. And the reason is because they turn to the Protestants and Evangelicals to learn what witnessing is and what the message is. And that will take you down the wrong road because I don't think they know what witnessing is. Yeah! No. Want to pray now? I mean, some people, come, our, our, our young people are involved in street ministry every night for nine, or every Tuesday night for nine years in the city of Winnipeg. And we've had very few converts. Other people win 20 people a night. Now, both of them have probably got something they need to learn. Would you agree? Okay. But I think I'd rather err on the side of our young people than on the side of the 20 converts a night who never get introduced to what true kingdom Christianity is. I'm trying to write some tracks right now, and writing is a terribly difficult job. I wish there were some people to help. Because we desperately need some good Anabaptist, solid kingdom Christian tracts and information. And we need to know what kind of things do we share. One time I took 12 young, 11 young men and two couples for six weeks sent them out across the prairie provinces of Saskatchewan and Alberta, going from town to town, living in tents, and finding people every day to share the gospel with. And what we began is in a setting like this, spending ten days without teachers, three, three messages, the rest of the time was young men and ladies, no, young men, and two couples sitting around the tables, figuring out what is it that Jesus has called us to preach. What is the message that God... What is the need of our hour? And what is the message that ministers to the need of the hour? And brothers, that's what we need to be asking. Because we are getting confused because we're taking an evangelical message to the people and then we're asking them to lead a radical lifestyle afterwards. So we bring them into an easy Christianity and then tell them it's a hard Christianity. And then after a while we begin to say, well... I guess it is easy after all. If you get my drift then. Sisters. Nothing's in order here today, okay? No, I'll talk to the brothers instead. Brothers, do you know what they say in the city of Winnipeg? My, uh, my children, you know what they say? is the most blessed thing to have with you when you go witnessing. 
Bible? A sister. A sister. Or some sisters. They say, we go by ourselves and people aren't even interested in talking. We take a sister with us. And suddenly everybody knows something's up here. <laughs> What's up? Sorry about that. Now that should be the case with, with all of us. You think the way you dress and all that doesn't matter. People notice everything. They notice everything. Most of you are wearing these button-down shirts. You know, everybody, if, I, if they see a group of you like that, everybody notices. They say, there's something different about those young men. And they notice. Our clothing is a language. It's a witness. It opens doors. Our lifestyle, our, our, our snowmen on our front yards that they've been watching us doing things as families. The, 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 the family. Uh, I believe in the evangelical camp there's been far too much focus on the individual witnessing. Over on this other camp there's being just this, yes, we're the city hid in the hill, uh, a way where no one can see it, but our light's burning, and if they want to, they can see the glow in the sky and come and try and find us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to suggest that there is something powerful about corporate witness. I was looking in Isaiah 52, I believe it's 1 and 2, and it talks about their singing, that, that they're proclaiming the word in song or something like that. We won't look at it. But you know that singing is a powerful door opener. So I confess to you that the, the thing that I have the hardest time with is knowing how to open doors. What I often do when I go, and I have no clue, but what I'll often do is go and just play and say, yeah, we're here, we're just going around, around town, sharing with people about Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you, you kind of watch the countenance on your face and things like that. I, I don't think I ever ask, are you ready to go to heaven tomorrow? Now, I'm not saying that's wrong if you do. I'm just saying from my background, I, I try to more get into the kind of conversation which is going to lead me to be able to teach. So when I go and find people coming out, out of the Kingdom Hall, um, I, I ask them, oh, well, what, what did you learn tonight? Oh, we were studying about the Kingdom of God. Wow, God, this is a good one. So we, we talk for a while and they invite me in. I get a tour and then there's a circle and, and I bring it back again. Okay, what were you, what were you learning? And suddenly we're talking, and one after another they start leaving. I'm alone in the kingdom of God. <laughs> or the kingdom of all. But, um, um, is evangelism God's will? Now, we're not going to be able to have a full session on that, but I'm going to try and give you a little bit here and there. We're going to go through some scriptures. And I don't want you to write them down unless you have. I'm asking to leave them on, okay? So you can write them down later because I want you to actually look at them. Let's go through some scriptures now. Let's start in Acts chapter 1. I've told you some very important things already. They weren't in point form, but I've told you some very important things. Acts 1.8 But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses Jerusalem, Judea, uttermost parts of the earth. That is the key verse of the whole book of Acts. Got it? Key verse. And we saw they did that. They began in Jerusalem, then they got out to Judea, and tomorrow at the beginning a little bit, before we get into the spirit-filled life, we're going to see that they got to the ends of the earth. And I suggested to you that where does evangelism begin? At home. 
Now, that may not necessarily always just be that the instruction all happens in your local church. But I want to suggest the place you learn to evangelize is America. And that if you haven't learned there all your mission trips to the end of the earth, I'm sorry, but I've usually seen that they hinder the church instead of help. Because young people come back with a wrong concept of what evangelism and missions is. And they're disappointed and discouraged with their leadership and their local church because they never got the burden that it really is first at home. Okay? I'm not opposed to, to training on the field and going to the field and all that. I believe our training and missions should begin <coughs> within the context of America. And I'd love to be a part of doing that. Chapter 4, verse 21. Okay, he's giving me three extra minutes here. Praise <laughs> God. Uh, 4.20. Remember, these are only a few. What I would challenge you to do when you get home will challenge you another time is to take these scriptures and many others to go through the whole book of Acts and lie witnessing and speaking. You see, God is at work and one of the main ways in Acts we see that work is through speaking. Through words. Prophetic words, words of testimony, and words of evangelism. Uh, where were we now? 420. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Ah, uh, oh yeah, well they did that already. All of that's been done, and everyone that wants to hear can get a Bible. So we'll, we'll do some farming. Do you know that all of your communities are witnessing all the time? You're always witnessing. I lived in a very Anabaptist community before I knew what they were, except I knew my wife was an ex one. Her dad was very ex. And now they think that we are very backslidden, going back to what they're asked from. But I learned some things. I learned that a lot of the Anabaptist people around us, they had three things. One is strife amongst themselves. Second was they broke the speed limit, except on Sunday. And the third was that they loved money. And that they wanted to buy everything as cheap as possible and sell it as, an ex as expensive as possible. And the fourth thing, I guess, was that we would never be able to have a weed-free garden like they did. <laughs> and uh, so we had, there, there was this impression of that's what their gospel is. Now, the people in the community probably didn't see the strife like I did as one of their, the, the borderline insiders. <coughs> But they saw the speed limit and they saw the materials. I think it was hinted at this today, but Dale Heisey has said tremendously that the, man, the, the mandate of the gospel to go is the antidote, is that the right to, the antidote for uh, materialism. That, that uh, if we aren't going, I long to see a day when every person in the German Baptist Church and whichever one you're from, from this age up, is looking forward to the time when they can go with dad and mom and travel across the country or for, 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 for a week of their summer and be at a tent meeting. Or, uh, 
or, or go out to the nursing homes and, and share and sing and, and they know when I get to be a young person this is what I'm going to get to do and you know I just met a group of Mormons when I was in South America there was uh, what, what was it there was 26 of them planning to go to Cochabamba for two years Every Mormon young man serves for two years. Every Mormon young lady has the opportunity to serve for at least one year. She doesn't have to. I think it's tremendous. Don't go become a Mormon. But why? Why is it just them? Why is it just the Jehovah Witnesses? We see what the Jehovah Witnesses do and we say, oh, no. Okay, Acts. Um, 4.33. Where were we? 4.33 And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection and great grace was on them and can be on us too, brothers. 5.20 Go, stand and speak. We saw that one in the temple. Oh no, the words to the people. All the words of this life. One of the key things we need to ask is how do I find an audience? It was easy in the old days because people had nothing to do. So they love to come and hear Spurgeon. Maybe even make a fool of himself. Or, or, or Billy Sunday or any of these. Because it was, it was the entertainment. And many of them got saved through it. But that isn't why they came. They came because there was nothing else to do. Paul often went to the synagogue. He had a, an open door. The big question for us today is how do we find an audience? How do we find open doors? Some people do it by, by having a bake shop where, where they, they have... Everybody knows if you want prayer, you can go to the bake shop. They care about you. It's a little radical. Where I come from, you always believe that uh, having fundraisers is wrong. But I heard of one church, they had barbecues to, op to pay off their church building and everyone in town came to their barbecues. Got to know the people of the church and when the church was paid off, the people came and said, please don't stop having the barbecues. Now, from the evangelical background I'm from, that is a no-no to ask the heathen for money to help pay for your church. Now they're asking the heathen for money to help pay for missions. And the heathen are coming because they like what they see there. And I hope those people are taking that as a door opener. It's a synagogue! And I don't know if it's right or wrong. I'm still, it's still too new a thought. But how do we open these doors so we have an audience that doesn't feel like we buttonhole them, but that we just have an opportunity to talk about life and ask what kind of gas they have in their tank. And, and they, they tell us why their vehicle, that their vehicle's not running too well, so we start asking them about what gas is in their tank. And uh, find out, you know, that they've got their own ideas and they don't bother going to the filling station, they just put in water. And uh, so on. But how do we get those opportunities without them feeling like they're a they're the bad guy and we're the good guy? Okay, let's go to eight twenty five. Eight twenty five. And the angel no oops, twenty five. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem, and notice this, and preached the gospel in many of the villages of Samar the Samaritans. There's been something said this week that I don't want to dispute, but that I want to put another side to, and I don't know who said it. 
But uh, as Bogan said several times, as we think about the spontaneity of the spirit and the spirit-filled life, that is a wonderful <coughs> thing. But we dare not just focus on the spontaneity of the spirit-filled life. We see that Jesus systematically went to every village and city. It tells us he did. And it tells us here that the apostles went to every city and village. That they systematically, we saw the other day that Peter was making his rounds like a doctor. Okay? So there has got to be something purposeful and planned and an understanding that we're not just doing whatever blows our hair back, but that, that we know we've been given a job to do. Now thank God in your workplaces when things just wonderfully all fit together and you're, you're homeschooling or you're cleaning and you can at the end of the day, you know, you just see God's been in it. But you also know when you began your day that there was this list of these five things you wanted to get done. Now you were open to the interruptions of God. But at the long and short of it is that if you're building sheds, sheds got to come out the other end. The other long and short of it is, well, brothers, I'll just be blunt. Any machine that I've ever worked on in all of my life, when it breaks down, everybody gets together. And they, all the focus goes on how do we get this thing fixed. And as fast as possible because production has stopped. But Jesus has given us a production list. He's given us a job to do and when the crew isn't getting along and the job isn't getting done, we all kind of say, well, let's pretend things are okay. Or, well, at least we're having a good time. We forgot why we're here. But well, one thing, yeah, we were called that koinonia. But no, the koinonia society is the base for all of this. You put this on its own and just have a Hutterite colony and all you'll have is million dollar tractors. If they could buy such a thing, they'd have them. A different kingdom. In the name of this kingdom, there's a different kingdom. But we do it too, brothers. We can do it too. And it's one of the most critical things that you need to deal with as a church and as brotherhoods. How do we answer that thing? That God gave us a job to do. And part of our heritage has told us that the job is already done. And we need to change that. Let's keep on. 840. But Philip was found at Azotus and passing through. He preached in which cities? All the cities. Till he came to Caesarea. Um, eight. Look at 840. Um, let's go to 10, 42, 43. We're only getting a few of these, okay? Not to all the people, verse 41, but unto witnesses chosen by God who did eat and drink with them after he rose again was this gospel given. But And he commanded, verse 42, so it began with 12, didn't it? It did begin with 12. He selected 12 people. He gave that gospel to 12 people who with their eyes saw it all and were so convinced that they changed the world and they passed it on and we have been so changed and people have been so changed and families have been so changed and drunkards have been so changed and hippies smoking and reading their Bibles at their desks have been so changed 
that a fire has gone out into all the earth for 2,000 years. But it began with 12. He didn't start by, with the moral majority, sorry, he didn't start by trying to get to the Republicans in. He didn't start by trying to get her back into the schools. I'm sorry. He didn't even start by trying to get it so everyone had a King James Version. He started with a group of men that he poured his life into and that he taught what the values of heaven were and said, now you go and what you've been given, pass on. If you're going to witness, you need to know what is to be passed on. We need to come to a place where we agree on what is to be passed on. And I don't think we've agreed on that yet in our Anabaptist circles. I have some ideas, but we need to be consistent. We need to come to an agreement about what's passed on, or there'll be confusion. Okay? So that could be a part of the fear we have when we go witnessing. We don't actually know what to pass on. Um, we were at 42, 43. And he commanded us to preach. Notice that. Commanded us, verse 42, to preach and testify remission of sins, etc. Okay, go on to 17, 17. And again, I encourage you, there's many more of these. Have a, spend a whole week looking through the Acts when you get home for some of these. 17, 17. Therefore, Paul disputed. That means he dialogued in the synagogue, so he had an audience with the Jews and with devout persons and in the market. How often? Daily. Okay. So, in the market, daily. Oops, our time is up. Okay, you've got the rest of those there. Let's look at, um, that was 18, 9, and 10. 18, 9, and 10, I'll end with Paul was in Corinth and God said to him, God came and an angel, I believe, spoke to him in the night or he had a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. That has been a powerful verse to me in my life. Let's read it together. Will you stand with me? Here's where it's helpful to the King James Version, though. By the way, I never grew up with the King James Version. And it was one of the things that people thought I was, des was desperately wrong with me. But there are some very handy things about agreeing together, even about things like that. Don't, don't react against everything from your past. Don't think, change things too slowly. The way you do things isn't the problem. Okay? We might talk about that some other day. Let's read together. We'll start at the red, which is B. No, we'll start at the, at the beginning. We'll pause on the commas. No. Well, let's try to do it. You ready? Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. God bless you. I'll let someone
someone else pray today when you take over. Remember about my glasses, if anyone has any boldness or knowledge. Remember to write down those scriptures as well at some point. Sometimes if they're singing in the background, I think it can be appropriate just to be 
Um, what do you do? What's your occupation? What's your life like? What's, do you have family? How many siblings? What was it like growing up in that setting? And that just tends right toward that core. Because relationships with our family are foundational. You have a, a conversation starter. Turning the conversation to something spiritual. Just real quick. Well, on my mind is, is the question, what's your major? Because Mary and Kate and I were talking about it in the last But my point there is um, our goal isn't necessarily just to add numbers. Our goal is, is to really make brothers and sisters and to hear their hearts. And so I spend most of my time on a college campus. And if I ask them what's your major, or similar question, if you only context, but to learn about their lives and they're willing to talk. I mean, if they're going to have an open discussion about the gospel, they'll usually be open to talking about their lives. And and so um, trying to ask questions that will allow them to open up and not just give yes and no responses, mm-hmm. but and hopefully share their hurts and, and their emptiness. And, and if people are already content and satisfied and, and don't have any need, um, Jesus has nothing to offer. I mean, as far as they can tell. Mm-hmm. Take one over here. How do you start the conversation? I don't know. I just, I guess I have a lot of questions about that. Um, myself. I mean, <laughs> okay. Um, I guess one question I have. I've been witness to by Muslims, and so you know, like they come to you, tell you you're gonna burn hell and all this other stuff, and it's like you know, it totally does not attract me. I mean, like. I, I feel fine the way I am, and I think a lot of people in the world feel that way. I mean, maybe I'm, I don't know. But it seems like a lot of people, I mean, some people, they are seeking, but it seems, does seem like a lot of people think they're fine. So, like, so what do you do then? Like, do you try and press it, or what? Let me interpret your question this way and ask you How do you awaken the conscience <coughs> to conviction? So you've, you've made a friend, you've, you've started talking about that. How do you awaken the conscience of somebody who feels like, I'm fine, yeah, good, good. That's a good question. Um, it's the Word of God that brings men to conviction. It's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. And so somewhere along the line you have to ask, do you feel like you're a good person? Do you feel like you're a moral person? Do you feel like you're good enough to go to heaven? And if, if they answer in the positive, then ask, how do you know you're going to heaven? What, what is your ticket there? And um, if there's any type of uh, sin in your life or any type of acknowledgement of that, you can ask specific questions. Are you a liar? You, know, you see some of the tracks out there. Um, but I really appreciate what David said about not pigeonholing or buttonholing somebody or having a, a super spiritual um, superiority mm-hmm. over them. Mm-hmm. You've, you've got to show yourself friendly. That's why I said you start out with just being friendly. You first ask the question. Um, if you can't show yourself friendly, you're not going to make friends. And so if you ever come across a accusatory, judgmental, critical, and condemning, um, I don't want to be a part of a God like that either. But yet, at some point, you've got to get to the gospel. The good news is that Jesus Christ redeemed us from that sin, from that power. Romans says, as Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation. So, somehow we have to get them 
their Muslim doesn't you. Ask them, at what point do you feel like you can go to heaven? And um, what's your ticket there? Bring it back to, to the gospel, back, back to the word of God. And then you've got to be immersed in you know, when Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. If, and I think we've talked about that among us men. I don't know if you sisters have talked about that. But if there's shame in our heart from sin, then we're going to be ashamed of the gospel. But if we are open and have a clear conscience before God and man, then it is that we're going to be able to present the truth in love and speak the truth in love.
it feels very fake to me, like Grant said, to go too quick to the remedy or even to the point of why I'm here. And so the thing that, that feels good to me, it feels right, is in just engaging in that conversation and then appealing to, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a line here, but, but first appealing to reason. We're just having a discussion based on the fact that we're reasonable human beings. Now I'm going to ask you a question, what's your honest response? This, this is how we converse, right? And so, now, uh, you know, that question of, of what, why do you think you're good enough to go to heaven? I'm not preaching at you, I'm honestly asking, why, why, do, you, why do you think so? And that's made a difference for me in the conversations that I've had is, if it's, if it's even, and I'm not presuming to be Lord of this discussion, and I'm willing to go wherever they go, and it's, it's open. They can ask me questions too, and I'm not afraid of that because I believe the truth. And so I'll go where they want to go, and, and I'll ask them. Now, if I answer that question, will you answer one of mine? And I intend to ask a question that appeals to their conscience.
I have a couple things I'd like to share. I really was intrigued by the question, how do we awaken the conscience? And um, how was that question? <coughs> because uh, as we go witnessing, uh, first of all, we're not going to learn. And I'm going to tell you, I, if you think you're scared, you ought to try this different. Because we haven't had this teaching in our past. And as you get older, we just, we just, um, it's harder to make changes in your life like this. But I would like to say this, that before we go, we need to realize that we are partners with Jesus Christ. And really, his job is to awaken the conscience. He'll do that, and then he'll help us to ask the right questions. And what I've been hearing from these brothers who share with experience is to, to reach out and touch their hearts and lives. And God will make the other thing I'd like to share is, I'm sorry to you younger German Baptist brothers and sisters that there aren't 70-year-old brethren showing you how to do this. I just want to repent of that. Um, and I also want to say, I'm scared to death too, but I'm willing to make the mistakes we're going to make together to learn how to do this. And God wants it's, it's His calling and He wants us in it. Let's have the courage to make the mistakes we're going to make to learn what we need to learn to go forward. And when you're 70, you're going to be doing work for a group of people, 18, 19, 20 years old. God bless you. Let's take another question. Can we take another one? I think Janie has one over here. Janie's got one. Okay. We'll, let's get them both and then we'll just kind of Stephen brought something up. Um, when he, he said, uh, tell him what my God is, or what God is to me, uh, and I, I know what he meant by that. You have a friend who is really quick to say, well, that's your God, that's how you, that's, that's how you regard it, and, um, you know, and, and he doesn't believe the Bible to be the truth. Um, and he's fairly well learned. My question is, how do you how do you respond to one of those types of responses? Moral relativism, religious pluralism, all gods are pretty much the same, aren't they? Um, my question, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was on an airplane by a lady and uh, didn't know at all if she was religious or not. And come to find out that she was on the way home from her younger sister's funeral. She died suddenly. Um, it was kind of a big deal to her. And she said, but we know where she went. And I was kind of like, okay, what do I do with this? Because it's obviously a sensitive subject. Um, I don't really just want to be like, are you talking about having her health? And I was just wondering like, if there is a polite and sensitive way to figure out
responding truly out of your heart. And um, I haven't thought this through real good, but even if even if you're not feeling quite, if you're afraid and, and uh, things aren't coming out quite right, that's okay. Let it go and come out that way. Just let people see that who you really are. Because people can definitely see if you're a fake. So I'll just go ahead and let it be who you are. Um, so so that in saying that, my challenge is um, I would go prepared to um, that I will come across as sensitive and caring and loving. Um, be prepared to that that be my genuine expression of life. Uh, and not be locked up in fear or, or come across wrong or say the wrong thing. But get prepared.
having a relationship with a brother and it took, it took time and so I I don't know how effective, I, I just think honestly like is this even going to be effective to meet somebody for two minutes and and try to, to share something that I know it's very important to share with them and it's like a, an emergency thing to share with people that I would prefer to have a relationship with people. And I, I know that's not even possible, really, on this trip to the college. We don't have much time there, I'm sure. So, yeah, for me, it was a relationship, um, someone I trusted, so we could do things like that to make them trust us. Um, and definitely I knew that that friend that shared the Lord with me loved me. about my past as well. So I think we could do that, ask people what pain they have in their in their life and really care about it. And really try to um, empathize with them. A lot of people here um, don't have the same pains as these people might have from other backgrounds, but we all have pain. All of us. And it took me a long time to believe that based on my pain that other people could even have anything that would that could possibly bring them pain in their lives. But yeah, so just care about people and let them know that you want to be their friend mm-hmm. and not speak a lot to people.
Bible is full of absolute statements. For instance, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but for me. Um, so, when we're going to a place like a campus, I really like to talk to this type of people because they have an intellect of some sort, and I can appeal to that and say, I like to appeal to your intellect. Tell me, when we have an absolute statement, does it truly have to be absolutely right or absolutely wrong? It's kind of a logical uh, thing that we can move through. They say, yeah, it would have to be absolutely right or absolutely wrong. And so we can, I can share with them that I have done research on absolute statements in different religious movements. And I've ended up here for reasons. And we can just kind of start into that, um, kind of on, on an intellectual level. Again, that's why there's university. So meet them where it works for them. Anyway.
Would that encourage somebody who's talking to somebody else if they see you interceding? Yes. Right on. Let's have some of that too. And I want you to discuss later the question that David asked. What is the need of the hour? I'd like you to discuss that. Thirdly, please feel free to invite people to Sunday worship. You plan to be there, most of you, I think, this coming Sunday. That can be from the mission. It could be from the college. I've invited people from both places. I've picked people up Sunday morning at the mission numerous times. We were impacted by the time that we shared there. And if you need somebody or you need a vehicle or whatever, you can count me in to help in that work. Many times at the college, they've been scared to come out. For some reason, there's this expectation that I don't know who you people are, and I'm afraid when I get there. But feel free to do that. We have a meal we're serving at the church on Sunday, and we'd be glad to accommodate your travels. We're going to have to shut her down. I'm sorry. I know that your comments have just been coming. Um, and that doesn't mean that you can't continue on speaking with one another. So, uh, Josh, would you stand and greet us in prayer? Holy Father, we come before you and just confess, Lord, that I'm uh, a little bit nervous about tomorrow.